thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Coming to you from an undisclosed location in Middle Tennessee and examining current events from a biblical perspective, this is Bible News Radio with your hosts, Randall and Stacy Harp. Hey everybody! Wasn't that great the way I did that? <laughs> hey, I gotta tell you, this book is totally hard to put down. It really is, and I'm not just saying that. I actually mean it. Like it was totally glued to my hand earlier today. I could not. I really couldn't. I didn't want to put it down because it's so good. Anyway, hey you guys, welcome to this edition of Bible News Radio. I gotta tell you, I am your sweet and lovable host. Unless, of course, you're a flaming liberal who really hates me, then. <laughs> but if you're a liberal that loves me, then you can verify that. I am sweet and lovable, right? Just saying. <laughs> anyway, uh, today what we're going to do is we're going to talk to Ron Pratt, lovingly referred to as Papa Bear Alaska, which I think is super cool. I really do. And, uh, it was probably two years ago, I think, approximately, maybe three, two, I think. Actually, Bearface and me actually got an opportunity to meet him and uh, Mama Bear Alaska in uh, California. And we talked. He had another book that Randall never read. <clears throat> and anyway, he uh, ended up doing this book and uh, Navigating Your Faith, or Navigate Your Faith, A Christian's Field Guide to Not Getting Lost. And he's been doing interviews like like for months now on this book but I have to tell you guys you have to go get this book I'm not even gonna I mean look you I haven't even put it in my Amazon store but here's the deal we have a special coupon code if you order it from his website just so you know right you can go to papabearalaska.com and if you use the coupon code navigate you can save 20% on this book so if you already ordered it oh well that's okay. I'm glad you got it. But you can save 20% if you use the word navigate at papabearalaska.com. All right, so who is this man? That's the question. Well, I'll tell you who he is. He's a cool guy. <laughs> oh, oh, I see all these cool jokes coming on right now. Yeah, he lives in a cold place. Yeah, he does. Anyway, he is the president and founder of This Generation Ministries, which aims to reach the lost people of Alaska. Yep. Anyway, so here's the thing. I could say a whole bunch more, but I'm not gonna, because, you know what, honestly, I don't read bios that well, and and you guys really don't need me to tell you who he is, especially on Periscope, because he's a gold star Periscoper. (laughs) And he has come to our lowly little bronze star periscope. Yeah, he has. Yeah, he has. I'm honored to have another gold star periscoper on the show. Say, hey, Papa Bear, come on. Come on. How you doing, bud? Great to be here. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I think I'm getting reduced to an aluminum star. Are you? Yeah. Or maybe tinfoil. Oh, the silver star? Yeah. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. 
<sighs> well, hey, you know, we could start there, you know, but 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 instead, be, before we get into the politics of, you know, social media, I would love it if you, uh, you know, because there are some people who don't know who you are because they probably don't stay up and watch you because you broadcast at a different time, don't you? Usually. Yeah, usually. What's, what's Okay, and, so what time is it there for you? Okay, so it's right now it's a little after 1 p.m. So we're okay. between California time and Hawaii time. Okay, so you're three hours behind me. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, so Pacific time, West Coast is an hour be- ahead of us, and Hawaii, where Greg is, is an hour behind us. Yeah. Well, I, I personally wish that I could go to Alaska someday. It's amazing. That's what I hear. <laughs> Yeah, really amazing. Yeah. yeah. So how did you, okay, so tell us a little bit about your family, about you and stuff. So for people who don't know you, like, I mean, they, okay. might, they, they will definitely want to watch you, I'm sure, but, you know. Well, um, I've, I've lived uh, kind of two lives simultaneously, one being an outdoor enthusiast and living off the land and hunting and fishing and trapping and also raised in a minister's home home. So I was a PK and grew up in that environment. So um, I've actually been in professional youth ministry for, well, longer than we've been married, which will be 33 years next month. Wow. Congratulations. And we've lived over 20 years in Alaska. So it was really easy. People say, well, what was it like going from Northern California to Alaska? (laughs) And it was a step up for me and and getting used to the environment was, you know, it's kind of like your niche. Um, You know, if you're a city person and that's your niche, you fit in and you feel at home. I feel at home out in the woods with the, uh, with the, uh, the bugs and, and, and the bees and the bears. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can tell you it's really weird because I, you know, I get it. I moved from Southern California to Tennessee. And Tennessee is beautiful, uh, but it's the allergy capital of the country. And that's not a lie. Everybody that comes here says that. I mean, we're like space in here. And uh, and there's so many memes and jokes about allergies in Tennessee. But I'll tell you what, I would probably never move back to California, even as much I love as much as I love my friend Jennifer, who lives there. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) California certainly got its issues. Yeah, it does. The government, for one, but anyway, yeah. uh, I, and no, I don't like bugs. I murder them, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, it's crazy because Alaska's always had the highest um, gas prices in the United States, even more than Hawaii, and um, not anymore. Now it's California. Oh, yeah. Oh, their, yeah. It's their over- gas prices are higher than ours. It's like, this ridiculous. Yeah, it's over five bucks now. That's yeah. That that's just crazy. Yeah. Okay. That's so, crazy. so Alaska though is at least for most people is known because you can go to a cruise on Alaska, uh, and Sarah Palin made Alaska super famous. <laughs> I think. Yeah. Have you met Sarah? Just curious. She's awesome. She's an awesome lady. Um, got to know her. My wife and I did when she was governor. She did a phenomenal job as governor prior to her there was not a governor that did such um, great improvements economically in our state. Um, the governor that uh, after her was fantastic too, Sean Parnell, and, and he's a good friend as well. 
But uh, yeah, if you met her, you'd like her. I don't care what side of the political fence you're on. And I know that the left has to hate her. They don't know why. They just have to. But if you met her and her family, you're like, wow, these are real people, real Americans, legit, hardworking. And um, I'll tell you, the first time we met her was at a event as as when she was governor. Saw her two years later. Now, we only met with her for maybe 10 or 15 minutes, my wife and I, talking about what we do in Alaska. Two years later, I ran into her and she called us by name and asked us specifically about how things were going with our camps and our ministry. That says a she lot. And I don't know, there are not too many politicians who can do that because she's not a politician first. She was a resident, a mom who was tired of seeing things go the way they were and she got involved. Yeah. And um, real people. Well, I, I like her because, you know, she speaks my lingo, you know, she doesn't like pull any punches and, and crack. I, I didn't vote for McCain. I voted for her. <laughs> right. I, I hate right. to say it, but, you know, just saying. Anyway, yeah. so, yeah. so, so in Alaska, okay, so you, you've been in youth ministry for longer than you've been married, which is, is impressive. Yeah. That's pretty cool. All right, so let's talk about your book, because this book is awesome, and you even told me it would be, you told me I had to read it, which I, I told you that, no, I wasn't going to read it, because I don't read all my guest books, just so you know, but I try my best, and I want everybody to know I read half of it. I did, uh, and and I definitely, I definitely want to read the rest, because it's super good, and uh, I have to tell you, I have all these notes here, personal notes, not any cheat sheet notes. Right, that you know you get usually get with a, a press. Kit. Right. Uh, so let's jump in because hmm? we have uh, only an hour, and I know already <laughs> because I've read so much of this, it'd be easier to go over an hour. But but anyway, okay. So how did you get into writing? I mean, um, you're well, that's actually an easy answer, and it's a question I get a lot. In fact, um, especially from other authors. Or, or sometimes I go and uh, to do workshops and mm -hmm. people think I went the typical route that I aspired to be an author. I went to school and took some classes on writing. Here's the truth. I completely failed in academics in school. Um, I just barely made it through the public school system, which tells you a little something. Uh, um, I w it was just very difficult <clears throat> for me. I hated reading and the thought of writing was like torturous. And so I never aspired to be a writer, um, was told by teachers I would never amount to anything, told them I, I wouldn't be successful. I was stuck in special classes often because they said I was unteachable, couldn't learn. And uh, so I, I really struggled as, from a small kid all the way up through high school. And so getting out of school was like an event, I'll never go to school again kind of thing. And and uh, work, never had a problem with working, but had a problem with schooling. So I never aspired. I don't have that typical story where I aspired and then I took classes, never took a class on writing a book uh, uh, or, or anything and never desired to. And literally several years ago, the Lord woke me up at 3 a.m. and very loud, like, like as if it was a speaker in my, in my room, but I know it was resonating in my head, said, you're an author. And I jumped up in bed, I set up, and I, I, I just knew I was supposed to declare it, even though it went against my grain. And so I spoke really loud, I'm an author. And my wife woke up, and she goes, what, honey? And I go, I'm an author. And she goes, that's nice. And she went back to sleep. 
And uh, but when I said that, there was do. literally a download, and I jumped up and started writing my first book that was published, the one you know you said your husband didn't read. I know, <laughs> which is mission accomplished, and um, that book is now used as curriculum in a Christian university oh. for a missions degree. And so this guy who struggled in school is now supplying curriculum for universities. So yeah. I think that's pretty cool. I think it's cool. And not only that, but sorry, Bareface, if you had a graphic of a school bus that would be running you over, I just threw you under the bus. <laughs> sorry, my bad. Uh, but this, yeah. this book here is actually published by Charisma House, which is no small publisher. You know what I'm saying? Uh, did I say it right? Charisma House? Yeah. Charisma House. And, and I have to tell you, I mean, I know the people at Charisma House because I talked to a lot of their authors. Um, so how'd, you, how'd that happen? How did you get cooked up with them? Well, that was a God thing. And so take the story I just told you about waking up and writing that first book and okay. then fast forward it three more years. <clears throat> and again, at three in the morning, I wake up. Only, only this was very unique time. Um, you know, God will wake you up to do different things or to pray or whatever. And I don't wake up easy. I'm a, about three cups away from, of coffee from waking up in the morning, you know, but um, I'm still sucking some down and it's afternoon, but um, literally woke me up at three in the morning with the entire book downloaded in my cranium, like from the first chapter to the last. So this book, Navigate Your Faith, was not a process of writing. I literally had the entire foundation framework all the way down to the ending, completely downloaded at three in the morning. Yeah. And I grabbed my iPad and I started writing crazy fast, as quick as my fingers could go. And um, when I finished it, I had my wife and a few of our staff do what I call a pre-edit, clean up my bad English, because remember, I was not good in school. Right. So, uh, so cleaned up my English so it was legible and didn't look Japanese or something like that. And and then I just stuck it on the hard drive because the Lord didn't tell me what to do with it. And it sat there for eight months. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't share it. I didn't promote it. I didn't send it to a publisher. That's what you're supposed to do. If you're listening, they'll teach you this. You write a manuscript, you clean it up, you send it with a cover letter to publishers. You hope somebody bites. I sent it to nobody. Nobody knew about it except my inner circle. And uh, I was on a one month speaking tour, uh, Washington, Oregon, in California, and I was halfway through my tour. It was my last day in in uh, Salem, Oregon, and I was hanging out with my mom, who lives there, and a pastor friend of mine. Uh, um, and uh, he's just a great guy. And as he's getting ready to leave, it was late at night. He goes, "Man, good seeing you." Um, and he says, "Do you know?" And, and he named this 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 guy's name. Do you know Ned? And and I I remember responding. I've never heard of the guy. Sounds like a made up name. And I go. He goes, no, he's a real guy. He's not. He's a real guy. He goes to our church, but he travels with his business. And I don't know if he's in town, but I think you should meet him. I go, well, I fly out of Portland tomorrow afternoon, so it'll have to be early in the morning. And he goes, all right. So at midnight, he texts me. He goes, hey, Ned's in town. He wants to meet you at the Pancake House at 730 a.m. So I meet him at the Pancake House, and I take with me, because I always carry, you know, when you're an author, you do carry some books with you. And I carried this book. And I, and I signed it for him. And so when we met at, at the, you know, for breakfast, I gave him this book. And he did something I've never seen done before. He started reading the endorsement pages. Nobody does that. Nobody reads endorsements unless you're in the publishing world. Right. 
I do. I so read them. Reading, and he goes, you know this guy, Dr. So-and-so? You know this professor? You know this pastor? And he's going through, because I had some pretty big hitters write endorsements. And I'm thinking, and I'm thinking as he's asking me, you know him? How do you, how do we know the same people? That's crazy. And so then he proceeds to tell me what he does. He is a salesman for Charisma House, lives in Salem, Oregon. Has worked for them for 16 years. And he goes, what else have you written? I go, well, I wrote this book eight months ago. I finished it and it's sitting on my hard drive. And I, and I just tell him an outline of what the story he goes, wow, that sounds intriguing. Can you send me the manuscript? So I sent him the manuscript. I didn't hear from him for three weeks. Midnight, he calls me. He's crying on the phone. He says, I'm halfway through your book, kind of like you are right now. Mm -hmm. And he says, I'm halfway through your book. And this book will change how my family lives. Good. And this is from a strong Christian family. And he goes, this will change how my family lives. And I'm, and I hit me. I'm like, wow, you're telling me this book, you just read this rough manuscript and it's going to change how your family. And he goes, it's going to take a miracle because you're a nobody, but let's go through the process. <laughs> he was honest. You know, I know. I, I know. It. I love but, it. In the public, you know, and when you're talking about publishing, right? I was, I'm a nobody, but you know that that apparently is changing. So, um, I mean, to to God, you're all somebody's people, but may, right. maybe in a certain realm in the world, you're nobody, and that's okay. Don't get don't get don't get up uptight over that. So I recognize that, and so we went through the process and through a series of miracles. Literally, several hundred books for that season were uh, manuscripts, I should say, were um, presented. Of all of them, they only picked the company only picked one book to write a contract with, and that was mine. And so and it was just it was miraculous. So from a contract and go to there, and there's more miracles attached to that. But um, it's it's been really amazing. And and what's really amazing is the testimonials I'm getting from people I don't know, emails from from you know you know people who are blue collar and and salesmen and pastors and business people and and whatever but they're sending me i mean really intense messages you know and saying wow this part of the book literally brought healing to me or or got me looking at something completely different and i'm not going to be doing this anymore or i'm going to go pursue this because of this book and i'm like wow yeah. And just drawing people closer to God. See, and that's so cool. And the and the reason I'm laughing is because for 15 years I've done broadcasting, and I have read a lot of books. <laughs> and this book kept my attention, first of all. But anybody who's honest, I mean, and now that I know your background is a PK, uh, you've seen this, right? So. You know, the book starts out, everybody, it's a story. It talks about the Christian family. Um, and what Papa Bear does is he, he's talking about Jason and Cindy who are married. They're a Christian family and they go to church. <laughs> right. But the Super Bowl or some NFL game, uh, let's say, I don't know if it's a Super Bowl, right? It's Super Bowl. Or, anyway, some important football game is on. And so they hope that... Uh, the pastor doesn't go overtime because it's so important for them to get home for the football game. Uh, anyway, and so it, it starts there. And, you know, as I'm reading this, I'm laughing because I'm like, oh, my gosh, boy, did you nail that? I mean, th the whole culture. 
<laughs> so I so I wrote notes. In fact, you wrote a couple of things here, and and one of the things that leapt out at me was when you wrote <clears throat> that the spirit of entertainment uh, you believed is is really the the widespread addiction of the church, and that's not word for word, but it's paraphrased, of course, and mm-hmm. and. Um, and one other line that was in there was that you you uh, wrote nothing nothing is worse than mixing church with your personal life. <laughs> as, as I read that, I laughed out. I did. I laughed out loud, not because I thought it was funny, but because I thought, well, you get why I do this show because you know one thing that Janet Parshall taught me years ago, listening to her show was that we can't separate our faith from our personal no. life. And yet, no. that's exactly what I think the majority of carnal Christians actually do. And so, right. go, you want to talk about, you know, about the spirit of entertainment and, and just how you set the story up. Because you do it in a, you do it in a non-judgmental, really like ba- bashing somebody over the head, but you do it in such a, a tactful way that it can bring conviction. But also for those of us who are under, who understand the culture, it's like, yeah, I get it. I see it all the time. Well, I really believe it's it's the biggest entrapment that, you know, and I, I, re- I really bring this up in that chapter in the book, and I think you're talking about chapter two, but the media trap <clears throat> is chapter two, and um, all of us have the potential of being caught up in it, but it's not just social media. It's not just what you're seeing on your device. It started way before there was these uh, smartphones and I and, and devices Th- that didn't cause it. All that did was create a new avenue and a new highway and a new access. So the problem was already there, and you could say it's um, started in a in a theater, but it didn't even start there. I think it started before there were theaters. I think a spirit of entertainment is really the concept of self. So I'm going to church. Better make it entertaining to me because I'm going to critique the service. And I'm going to give you a one to five stars, and um, and and that's going to affect whether I come back or not. And I often wonder if if the twelve disciples initially, you know, sit down with little scorecards, and Jesus just gave a sermon. He's sitting on, on the edge of a hill, and then they're like, mm, "I'll give him a two point five because I was a little offended, or I'm not really sure he was a little too direct. I might only give him a two, or that was a four. That was pretty good, but." You know, and in this concept that we, because it's in our culture, it's in our society, it's a critique. Right. We have game shows where you critique, and and I and we critique uh, ball games, and but as soon as we take it into our relationship with God and other people's relationship with God, we have a tendency to critique, and and really, critique sounds like a soft, painless word, but if you say criticize, which which is really the foundation of critique criticize or being critical that's 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 a problem there's a place for being critical if i cook a recipe i'm very critical of it because i think i can improve on it but um that critical attitude that gets into the church gets into the body of christ it starts with individuals and um it's you know you know just say something people don't agree with on social media and you'll see it from all i expect criticism from the world sure. and i'm and this book wasn't written for them this book is written for anybody who carries or um adheres to the label called christian or that banner at some level yeah there is uh i i'm going to read part of what you wrote cuz okay cuz cuz 
because I underline I underlined it here. You know, if you see, I underlined it. So you can see, I, under <laughs> I underlined great. a lot of stuff. Like I said, this is one of these books that I would I'm definitely gonna think because there's so many good. There's such there's good stuff here. Anyway, he writes this in a uh, growing cold, and uh, it says here, test this for yourself. Um, well, actually, I'll go up to the the first paragraph above it. It says, I'm amazed at how aggressively some Christians defend what they love. I'm not talking about evangelism or a command of Jesus about personal preferences, habits, and worldly desires. Test this for yourself. Make a few posts on social media and watch the responses you get from Christians. <laughs> to which I laughed when I read that because I, I know exactly what you're talking about. He right. said, he, uh, I do it sometimes just to see where people are. For example, I'll post something about our freedom in Christ, implying that if we just add Jesus to our lifestyle, his grace will cover everything. Positive reactions, amens, and thumbs up come rolling in. However, when I post a scripture about Christ's lordship, or I get little or no response, it's basically ignored. If I dare to post about purity, personal sacrifice, godly living, or God forbid, holiness, you think you'd almost think I was threatening people's families. And anyway, and then it goes on to say, pointing out any hypocrisy on these issues will get you even more convoluted replies, but nothing seems to trigger as much warn as much anger as warnings about alcohol. And I do want to make a point about this because I live in the South. The very mention of a higher standard sparks outrage from some. Why are they so ready to defend the quote innocence unquote of what I call well marketed bottles full of decay? I thought, oh man, that so the reason this stood out to me is because you you actually talk about uh, alcohol and the idea of moderation. Mm -hmm. I live in the South, <clears throat> and one <laughs> and one of the things that I can tell you that is highly different about living here in Tennessee as opposed to California is that when I went to church with my California buddies, nobody drank, and 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 if you drank with a Christian in California, it would be in your house usually. Most people I know. In the 30-something years I lived there, I can't remember one time I went out with a friend from church and drank alcohol, because uh, I don't typically drink anyway. But here in Tennessee, all my pickleball peeps, they love drinking beer. I mean, beer is a big, huge thing. Even when I interviewed Amy Grant, she talked about, she talked to me about how her and Vince, you know, kicked back with a bottle of beer, and it is a cultural thing. And I actually just learned, uh, it was about a month or so ago. I was, and, and I had no idea because that's me, but I was sitting there uh, at our, one of my favorite restaurants to go to and all the men and a couple of the women were having drinks and some was like, I would think a harder alcohol and mostly beer with some of the guys. But one of the men actually told me, we don't drink out in public with our church friends. We only drink with people we do other stuff with. And I'm like, huh. That's interesting. And, you know, and they know I don't drink. I mean, I have alcoholism in my family. I don't generally like the taste of alcohol yeah. anyway. Yeah. But I'm such a lightweight that I would get drunk on a half a sip of something because I just don't drink. And anyway, so one of the things you talked about in your book that I thought was so great uh, was when you were talking about the idea of moderation. Let's see here on page 43. Wait, hold on. I wrote down a note. See, the shows yeah, I wrote. Page 43. Yeah, so you wrote here, the fundamental challenge with moderation is that the concept itself 
implies a moderator. Um, and it says here, history teaches us that we humans don't self-moderate very effectively, especially regarding issues like alcohol consumption. We need others to serve as moderators in our lives. It's a little embarrassing that we need to be moderated by a secular government. Um, anyway, and, oh, and then you wrote here on page 41, or 40, Christians who enjoy social drinking might be surprised to know that much of their sipping is actually making them legally intoxicated. And I know for a fact some of my dudes, my, some of my friends are legally intoxicated. Yeah. I, I can, yeah. I have drunk people that come to pickleball. I, true story. <laughs> I don't yeah. know they're believers, but I, you know, I do know that some of my friends, I think they drunk, they drink to excess and then they kind of have to, you know, step back. But address that issue. Cause first thing I want to say personally is I'm not condemning anybody f for drinking, but I thought this was interesting how you brought it up. So it's all your fault. Just so you know. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm trying to show a different angle that the Lord gave me on this because a lot of people yeah. it's, it's just, hell and brimstone and if you drink you're going to hell and and if as as you really study the scripture mm. um it's not a salvation issue until you get drunk because it says drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of god well what's a drunkard oh. well we're gonna have to do some historical uh research and look in the hebrew and a drunkard is literally somebody who gets drunk well according to the state of california which i put their findings in this book you notice there was a graph there i had I did. it I took me about a month to get permissions from california to use that and jump through lots of hoops you know to use their information and graphs before they gave me a thumbs up to use that but they show that people are getting drunk way sooner than they think they are so most moderate drinking is actually people getting drunk according to them anything that uh, chain affects your ability to perform falls under drunk. And so from a scriptural reference, I think we've taken the word drunk and said, that's only the guy on the, on the street that's laid out and, and he just barfed and he's got a bottle in his hand. That's a drunkard, not me. I just get a little tipsy a few times a week. Well, who's more drunk, you know? Right. Um, what really motivated this is, um, uh, and, and so a little background for people who don't know, in Alaska, we still do a lot of youth ministry and youth outreach, and but most of our focus is suicide prevention. So we go into small villages, communities, we run winter camps, summer camps, all kinds of things, and we find hot spots where suicide's really bad, and we go and do preventive programs and um, you know, we call it the one step program because when these kids step into the arms of Jesus, all kinds of healing takes place. And and uh, when, when you don't hate yourself, then you don't want to kill yourself anymore. And so we do a lot of that. But one thing in Alaska, 87% of our suicides are directly related to alcohol consumption. So wow. alcohol obviously puts you in a state of mind that you would make a decision that you normally wouldn't. And so we got all these kids making a permanent decision for a temporary problem. And we're trying to give them an option out of that and in doing that. So, so in that, I, we also work with a lot of adults because we work with their families, their uncles, their parents. And, and typically these are native people, but not necessarily, they could be all different walks of people, but there's this one native man who I've, I've worked with for, for many, many years. I mean, probably since 2003 or four that lives on the Yukon. And, and I don't know how many times he's called me in the night with a gun to his head and I've talked him out of it and prayed with him. I mean, you know, some really, and he and I are really close because of that. And, um, and he, he'll be the first to tell you that I'm an alcoholic, you know? And so one time I was with him and he was sober. When he's sober, I, I use him at our camp 
and he's an amazing artist and I use him a lot. And, um, and, and I just called him by name and I, I said, I have a question for you. You know how you call me and you ask me to pray for you because of your alcoholism? And he goes, yeah. And uh, I said, if I drink just socially or just moderately, I use those words. If I just drank a little bit, would you still call me? And he's, he stared at the ground for a while and he, he looks up and he goes, no. And I go, why wouldn't you call me? He goes, because drinking is drinking. There you go. Those words hit me hard because from his point of view, drinking is drinking. So if you drink just a little bit, how are you going to help me with my lot a bit? I think, you know, and I, I, uh, I read, I read that I, or a version of that. <clears throat> and it, I, I found it very impactful. Now, my friend, Jennifer, uh, who's in here, I think, I think you're still in here, right? Jennifer. Anyway, she posted a comment here. Um, she said, there's the mindset in California of not stumbling a brother for sure. And, you know, and, and, and that's a great point, um, Jennifer, because Randall and I, we've, we've often thought, you know, do we drink in public? Cause we're seen as leaders. Uh, but it's really weird because at least in Tennessee, we are, we definitely stand out because <laughs> we don't drink, um, but when you add the suicide thing on it, you know, and then the other the other thing that you wrote about in your book was you were talking about how um, about how a, a pastor, if he drinks socially and then somebody comes up to him and he feels, oh, it's OK because my pastor's doing it with that guy not knowing that he was a drug. He was set free from alcohol and now mm -hmm. he's fallen back into it, you know, and and yeah. so I think that it's a. Um, we don't think about that. And I think what Jennifer said was yeah. actually, you know, uh, important, you know, the appearance of evil, which then actually can get into a whole other part of your book about Hollywood and, and movies. But I'd like you to address what I just said first. Yeah. I, you know, and I've seen that literally happen. Um, even recently, I've seen an entire church collapse and literally fall apart mm -hmm. because the senior leader or leaders were, um, making those compromises and then in that area. And what it did was, um, you know, the things that we do in moderation, the next generation will do in excess. And so what it did, there was people in their church who had been delivered from that. They'd gone through programs. They'd gone through, you know, the 12 step and, and um, different uh, teen challenge and different programs. And then, but they're watching their leader and they're go, oh, well, I guess it's okay to do that again. And they slipped back into it, only they got worse. And the scripture supports that, that it's going to be seven times harder. <laughs> seven times as many demons are going to have access to them and have permission to them. And so literally watch people fall off, if you will, off the wagon. And uh, simply because they took, uh, they followed their leader. And so if we're leaders, a lot of people want to be a leader. If you're a smart leader, you don't want to be one. But if you're <laughs> a lot of me. people want to be a leader, but they don't want to make any changes in their own life. And so there's a responsibility with leadership. And I, I think we just can't take it. I, I know that here in Alaska, because alcohol is such a big issue. Um, if I take you to one of our remote camps, you would be hard pressed to find a young person that hasn't been physically beaten, sexually molested abused in some way 
and alcohol is involved in it from a family member or from a neighbor. And so to justify having that, that, that cup or that bottle in my hand actually works against them. It represents abuse to them. And so uh, we won't even work with volunteers up here. If that's something that they want to hang on to, you can hang on to it. You just won't be working with us. Um, We got lives at stake here and um, we got bigger things to do. Um, I just don't have time to play with that. Let me play the devil's advocate. I know he doesn't need my help, but how do you answer the believer that says, well, Jesus drank wine. In fact, he turned water into wine. So it makes it super okay to be able to drink, you know, wine. Yeah, in the, yeah that, that scripture, and I mentioned that in the book, I, I break it down and talk about that story. But in that story, um, we have no um, information that Jesus drank the wine that he created. It just says that he turned the water into wine. And, and that was his first miracle. And people jump on that. Well, his first miracle is if you study in the Hebrew, um, the word wine um, and it's fruit of the vine. And um, in the Hebrew, it's fruit of the vine. And um, you talk and you start studying old wine skins and new wine skins. Old wine skins is fermented grape, fruit of the vine, which then is alcoholic. But most Hebrew people, and I've been to Israel and I've talked to people, um, they drink it fresh. You'd squeeze the, the juice. Now, they didn't have refrigeration back then. So you squeeze the juice. And for the first several days, you had fresh juice. As it started to turn, it was turning into old, what was called old wine. You put it in old wine skin. And so you would ferment it. And it was, um, the, the scripture says, like hot to the lips or fire. And so um, there's more scripture warning <clears throat> leaders, especially leadership. And that's mentioned in the book, too about drinking this thing that could could fog your ability to make good judgment. Yeah. So anything that can affect our ability to make good judgment, why is it pilots can't moderately drink before they hop in a 747 and take you across the country? Why is it they're fired if they're caught with that in their blood system? Right. If it's okay, why can't they fly moderately drunk? or drinking in moderation. Why can't they? Why? Because science knows that it alters your ability to make a decision. We don't want them in the cockpit making decisions from a foggy view because their head's spinning and they had a little too much alcohol in their blood. So as leaders and as spiritual guides, how can I guide anyone through through navigating this life if if I'm a little tipsy and I don't know where I'm going? Yeah. Amen, bro. <laughs> I need to have clarity of mind. It, well, we do. And, and you know, this actually, this topic, uh, as we talk about moderation or whatever, I mean, and, and I'm guilty of, you know, a lot of sin, just saying I'm not perfect by any stretch. All you do is watch me every day. You'll find that out. But what I will say is that, you know, um, we have seen in recent years with church leadership, some of the younger emergent type pastors in particular, yeah, uh, and even recently with James McDonald from Walking the Word, who's a older conservative Southern Baptist, I believe. Uh, you know, there's been attitude issues, there's been uh, language issues, um, you know, and, and other things which I won't get into here. But I think that the point is that we have to be very careful. And so I want to take a break here first. And I want to remind everybody, the book we're talking about is here called Navigate Your Faith, a Christian's field guide for not getting lost. My eyes aren't that good. So I had to (laughs) 
had to turn around uh, by Ron Pratt, a.k.a. Papa Bear Alaska. And I have to tell you, if you guys go to... I have all the sheets here with all this special info on it. Wait, hold on a minute. I can tell you. Is it on the other paper? Yeah, here it is. My bad. Wait. Nope, that's not it. <laughs> if you go to PapaBearAlaska.com, you can save 20% when you use the word... What is it? Navigate? Or is there's the other word? Navigate. Navigate. <laughs> I don't want to give the wrong word. Ah. Oh, here it is. It's on this paper. Yes, when you were... Okay, when you go to PapaBearAlaska.com and use the word navigate, you can save 20% on the book, okay? And other stuff, too, I think, in the store. There's other stuff. Okay, here's the other thing. Uh, when you go to Ariel.org, <laughs> our sponsor's website... You can also save 20% uh, when you use the coupon code Bible News. And right now we're encouraging everybody to get uh, the book, The Feasts and Fasts of Israel. Yeah, we are. <clears throat> and we're also encouraging you to check out Camp Shoshana. You're going to go up there in, t in the Adirondack Mountains during the summer, uh, July 7th through the September 2nd. You can go there. You can sit under some good Bible teaching. And seriously, you guys, hey, if you have the money and the, and the time to do this, do it, man. It will change your life. It really will. Uh, so do that. Um, if you like our show, what we do, you want to support it financially, then feel free to become a pillar of the community, not a pillager. <laughs> uh, you can go to BibleNewsRadio.com forward slash give and give your best gift today. You can go there in all seriousness and donate to the show. Actually, you can do that. And we offer we also offer Legal Shield and Identity Theft Protection, which if you don't have, you should get just because it's important to be as wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. And one of the things I keep telling women in particular is, look, why wouldn't you want to protect yourself? You know, get get the protection. It's not it's not that expensive and it and it far, the benefit far outweighs the cost of it. So go to bit.ly forward slash LOJ 2019 right there. And you can check it out. Okay. All right. So we have a lot to talk about. And I could easily do longer show with, with uh, Ron here. And we might go over if he can. But anyway. So <laughs> here's the thing. Okay. So in this book, you, t we talk, you talk about Holy Word or Hollywood. And I have to tell you. In your story of Jason, Cindy, uh, as I'm reading through this, I'm laughing again, not because it's funny, but because the way that you write the story uh, is, I believe, really honestly true to to many people's lives. And and I made a commitment when I became a believer when I was a Christian, when I was 14, 13, 14 years old, that I would not see R-rated movies. I made this decision when I was a teenager after I became a Christian. And my reasoning, Ron, was that if the world gives this rating an R, how should I as a Christian? And I was 14 when I made that decision. Okay, I'm just making that point. Yeah, yeah. Okay? So, and, and I don't condemn people for it, but people were like, well, why don't you go see this movie? Why don't you see this? Blah, blah. And I'm like, because honestly, it's garbage. Why would I want to watch it? If the world says this is an R, what should I as a Christian say it is? <laughs> and and seriously, right? So you actually wrote here about the movie industry and uh, 
and what was it? The wait, I have it. Wait for it. The Hayes Code. Yeah, on page the sixty. Hayes Code. I gotta read you this, guys. This is awesome. It's amazing. Listen to this. I did not know this either. Okay, listen to this. So. In 1930, it says here, members of the MPPDA adopted a specific code um, detailing standards for appropriate content. Uh, These guidelines were known as the Motion Picture Production Code, or more commonly, the Hayes Code, H-A-Y-S-K, after MPPDA President William Hayes. Okay, here here are the following examples of the Hayes Code criteria. Some of you are going to fall out of your seat when you hear when you hear this. I almost did. Um, Okay, so films should not lower the moral standards of viewers. (laughs) I mean, seriously, you guys, have you seen a film today that doesn't do that? Honestly, Uh, audiences should never be encouraged to sympathize with the violation of the law. Uh Movies portraying criminal and adulterous behavior should show negative consequences. The law should not be ridiculed. And clergy should be portrayed in a positive light. Right there. So that's history for you. And, and uh, Ron, you got to tell me. <laughs> yeah. Well, we've I mean, come I mean, a long ways. Yeah, we have. 1930, haven't we? We've it, come a long ways. And <sighs> there's definitely been a lot of er- erosion to our, our morals and, and, and what we believe biblically as Christians. But... The reason this part came about is I, I wanted people to know the history. When you know the history, then it kind of gives you everything into perspective um, so that we realize that we've been the frog in the warm water that have been heating up and eventually you boil and don't even feel that you're boiling, you know. And um, I was blown away years ago that there was people, and I'm, and I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about Christians who would just uh, defend different movies or, or, or whatnot with, with a, a, almost an unhealthy passion. Yeah. And I thought, what's a big deal. And, and I'm like, you know, even G rated films that were created by, you know, Disney mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and who introduced, you know, the good witch to, um, uh, you know, our kids back in the day. And so, uh, and I say it in the book that I propose that there's, g-rated movies that are way more harmful than r-rated movies as passion of the christ was rated r right. um a movie that just came out and hit really hit the fan with uh attack by media and was given a r rating uh and um i believe that was called unplanned great yep. movie yep and um i will watch it and i go i'm not really sure how in the world this got an r rating <laughs> so they they had to bend their own rules so they could do that. I mean, literally. And then you see some other R rated movies that you're going, well, a few years ago, this would have been an X rated movie. And so um, my whole point in this is why are we letting Hollywood tell us what a rating is? Yeah. Why are we letting the most immoral people on the planet tell us what morality is? There's something wrong with that foundationally. The irony of it all, even, even with the NC 17 rating, which is X, by the way, people, you know, and and isn't it interesting also when you think about it, even TV today, I mean, just regular TV shows, they've slapped that rating on there. Why? Because there was a slight outcry from the Ted Bears of the world, uh, you know, another bear, <laughs> you know, from Movie Guide and, and others who are like, hey, you know what, we can't, 
You know, you cannot air this show before 7 p.m. or whatever it is or yeah. or whatever. You know, it's like, yeah, it, it drives me crazy. I mean, I don't have Netflix. I use somebody else's <laughs> very rarely. But anyway, I don't have it. I don't have Hulu. Um, I do have Amazon Prime, but I don't watch it very much. Um, I don't watch TV generally. I don't watch the news because it depresses me. It's right. super depressing. I read stuff on the Internet uh primarily and i do watch youtube but usually it's apologetics videos and stuff so you know my that's my limited media intake honestly and people laugh at me i i have some good friends in social media that will make fun of me because i've never seen some movies and and they'll make fun of me because of that and i'm like whatever i don't care you can make fun of me if you want i don't have that garbage in my head and i don't want it in my head i don't need it in my head i already have enough of my own stuff in my head that i don't need other people's stuff Right. So, so how do you? Okay. So, what's the answer there? You know, as far as media, if because clearly we we live we we're on the same page, but how do you like in like the example you give in the book? Uh, Jason and Cindy go to a movie, and Jason is enjoying the movie, and then another church couple gets up and they leave the the movie, and. See, I did read it, just so I know. You did. <laughs> so they, they leave the movie 15 minutes later, and and then those two basically have this discussion about, well, why, well, how come they left the movie? And Randall and I have done this, by the way. We've gone to movies, and we've gotten up and left. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So. And I think that's uh, something we have to start doing. We, we have to start walking away. <laughs> uh, on a personal level, not wait for a movement. We make our own movement. And really, you look at the Hays Code. Where did the Hays Code, why is it we like the Hays Code? Why is it we agree with it? it because these are people who were using a standard from a culture that was biblically based. So right. you get biblical concepts of honor and of not dissing each other. And you come up with the Hays Code and you're like, okay, we're going to do movies, but here's going to be our criteria. We're not going to make clergy look bad we're not going to rip on that we're not going to make law enforcement look bad we're not going to make a theft look like a good thing we don't want young people thinking that's a a choice that you know so at the end of the movie the bad guy goes to jail and and the good guy wins we're we're gonna we're gonna try to you know have these uh, uh positive moral standards in our movies so we agree with it because it's a biblical standard so why not get back to their source, not get back to the Hayes uh, code, not get back to that. I'm saying, why don't we as a family, our individual families get back to a biblical rating system? Yeah. All right. So let me throw this out to you because, and I know this is maybe a little bit controversial. So far we poo pooed alcohol (laughs) and, and movies and entertainment, (laughs) the NFL and stuff. So, this is the problem with the church, Ron. Just so you know, we're so stuffy and we're so uptight and we, you know, we don't want to have fun as Christians because, you know, we're because we hate the world and because, you know, the Bible says that if you love the world, then you're an enemy right, of God. Right. Just so you know. So what do we do? I mean, we we can't play cards either. I'm sure that's probably in there somewhere. No, I'm not, I don't know. But <laughs> we can't dance either, actually. Well, unless it's ballroom dancing, and then that's okay. But no, I'm just kidding. No, in all seriousness, what? How do we then, as as Chuck Colson would say, how then do we live? You know, that's that is a good question because 
if you only speak one side of it, it starts to look like you're just an anti-movement. Right. And that's what this book is about at all. Right. And as a person gets to the end of the book, what it's really doing is is highlighting those areas where the enemy trips us up and trips us up, gets us down a wrong path, gets us down the wrong road, a dead end road. Because so many Christians, um, I think we would be surprised if we knew just how many Christians are actually lost and don't know it. They're lost in their relationship with God. They're lost in life. They're lost with purpose or they don't have a purpose. And they're just going through the motions and going to church and whatnot. And so, but the answer to the question that you have is we become uh, the entertainers and not the entertained. We become the uploaders and not the downloaders. We become um, uh, the person who's um, creating influence and not being influenced. Does that make sense? And so just the other day I was yep. uh, talking to my son and I was crunching my social media and um, I'm trying to see where my notes are, but it was something like, I added up all my social media platforms, everything I could. And I added every, every number in total who I was following and every number of followers. And I came up with, I think it was um, just shy of 300 to one. So it was like 290 something to one. So for every 290 people, let's say I'm following one person. So I think if you take your average person, especially your average young person, you're going to find a flip side of that. For every one person that follows them, they're probably following 300 people. And uh, meaning the influence on them is greater than the influence they're having. Does that make sense? Yep, it does make so sense. I'm not anti-social media. We're using it right now. And I talk about that in the book and, and I've, I've taught, you know, workshops on it. So, um, uh, in fact, I just recently did a, a live Facebook to leaders and church leaders and pastors saying um, one of the reasons that social media platforms are so wrecked and biased and evil is because we've been just watching it happen and we've not been involved and we've not joined in. We're coming in on the tail end of this. As, as believers, as faith-based people, and then we're wondering why we're rejected. So why didn't we see this coming? What, why didn't we have the foresight to see this coming? And why didn't we dominate Twitter 10 years ago? Well, I can tell you why, because the National Religious Broadcasters' leadership are old. And I'm saying this out of the utmost respect for my fellow old people, because I'm old too. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not that old. But... <laughs> What I will tell you is 15 years ago, when I started my show under a different name, Active Christian Media, it was actually Minded Media first, and then Active Christian Media, and then On the Wall Radio, mm -hmm. and now it's Bible News Radio. We finally found our name. Yes, I am old, Jennifer, but you're older, just so you know. Anyway, but I remember <clears throat> going to the National Religious Broadcasters NRB convention, which is the largest convention for bro broadcasters and Christians in the media, and wow. and Bareface can tell me can verify this. We were doing interviews, and I had the ear of Janet Parshall and others who were on who were on their their corporate board or whatever they call it, their executive board. And I went to them and I said, you know what? I want to teach a workshop on using uh, social media on Twitter on podcasting. Okay. Yeah. It wasn't until almost three years later that they had somebody come in and actually address these issues. And yeah. um, and what really, really was annoying to me is as I, as probably 10 years into doing my podcast, 
it was finally 10 years later the Christians decided to finally do their their broadcast on podcast and I'm like welcome right. to the 21st right. century hey yeah it's nice to you archaic 70 and 80 year olds who are running this media the way that you are you're you're totally losing my generation which is just below yours and now yeah if I had children my children you know they're they they've had a pacifier and you know an electronic pacifier so to speak since they were born you know and now nrb is finally kind of catching up but it drives me crazy and, and that's that's the biggest issue right there i i helped janet parcel with her own twitter account i actually own the name janet parcel on twitter you guys just in case you didn't know this because i helped her build it but rather than her take it from me when I offered it to her, she set up Parcel Talk as her Twitter account and refused to take it from me for whatever reason. That was her issue. Whatever. My point is, is that Christians are like way behind the world. And that's why we are the way that we are. And then those of us who are brave enough to be on social media and actually espouse a big biblical worldview, we're being squished by these people. Because I, I'll give you a perfect example. A couple of days ago. Uh, when um, Alabama passed that abortion law, CBS News put up, you know, they're mm -hmm. griping about it. And I'm like, yeah, praise God, you know, babies are going to be saved, you know, literally yeah. within a minute. And I'm not exaggerating. Within a minute, I counted almost 700, not 700, 175 comments bashing me like like that. Yeah. It's like yeah. the minions were like, yeah. you're evil and you're this and you're that. And I'm like, yeah. I, I was smart enough not to respond, but I just I thought you got to be kidding me. And, and well, a lot of the left is out of work because they don't want to work, so they have the time to do that <sighs> to their advantage. But you know, I think the answer isn't just having a few big voices speaking for morality and for the Christian world on social media. I think the answer to attack this is is a, a, a millions of of regular folks. Yeah. Who believe in the word and start promote. I'll hear, tell you what, Twitter can attack the top 12. You know, they can go after, but if 12 million start posting, they got to hire more people. And I'll tell you right now, they're not going to do that. I've been in their office. They're not going to hire that many more people to do more shadow banning and to do blocking. They don't have the time to do that much blocking. So a hostile takeover happens through volumes, not through popularity. There you go. So, in other words, everybody, retweet our show out. Everybody get involved. <laughs> and, because, you know. Yeah, and I'm not kidding. And I say this all the time, don't I? I mean, I know you've listened to us a little bit, so you, you hear it maybe. Mm -hmm. But it, it drives me crazy, you know. And even Jennifer, my friend who's not as conservative as me, you know, we witnessed this bias even when I was in <laughs> California. You yeah. know, on her account yeah. versus mine. You know, so I, it just, yeah, yeah it, drives, it drives me nuts. Thank you for retweeting, Melanie. See, Melanie is our number one super fan. Yeah, you are. <laughs> so, hey, I got to ask you, when we were talking about the media trap, and we're, since we're talking about me, what do you think about my, my illustration of the spider? I love it. Okay. I love it because, because of a couple of reasons. Number one, um, 
you described how the spider, the different stages of what happens, and with the web, you know, and I've heard this analogy before too, but the World Wide Web is definitely a web to get us suckered into. And I was thinking, and I'm sure you you elaborated on it more, but I was thinking about how we find it interesting, even with the internet technology, we refer to the spiders in the web that are actually scouring through the web with, you know, the SEO and all. (laughs) And I was thinking... Even yeah. the word internet and the way you use the word net, you know, we're all caught. And I actually, this is my New World Order, you know, belief system. I actually believe that the internet is actually a trap by the Antichrist in the New World Order, actually. That's actually, just to put it that weird way, I actually believe that there is a huge purpose behind it because i think when the rise yeah. of the Antichrist comes up, he's got to do it somehow. He's not going to be able to be seen like yeah. You know, maybe he'll come up in holographic form. Who knows? But I do think it's interesting. And I also think it's interesting that there are more people addicted to pornography. And that's a whole Mm -hmm. other issue. Um, And all of that. So, I mean, and I know you kind of touched on that a little bit. Yeah. uh, um, My research of spiders on that part of the chapter, I was amazed to find spiders that get, get... they weave a, a web that'll catch birds. They catch, you know, like animals. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. man, these are strong little uh, insects, strong critters. And um, but the five stages for those of you that haven't read the book yet, uh, the spider or what he does with what that spider he or she does with the web is entangle, infect, capture, kill, and consume. And so the spider's desire is never to to quickly kill its prey. It's to keep its blood source alive, but to keep it captured so that it can utilize that blood source, that that life source, as long as it possibly can. It literally wants to slowly suck the life out of you. And that's the purpose of the web is, is to snag you into that. Yeah, it is. <clears throat> it's a great book. You people should get it. So why don't you go ahead and tell them where, because Randall's like, you only have a couple minutes left. You need to shut up, Stacy. <laughs> now, he didn't say okay. that, but well, actually. Um, you can get it at Barnes & Noble. Um, um, just to say, I, I don't have it on my website anymore. Oh, yeah? I am giving 20% off with that coupon code for anything on my website in the store. But uh, as an author, they only give you so many books that you can, you know, do what you want with on that. And oh, so You sold out, huh? Uh, that's done now, but now you just simply go to Barnes and Noble, or you can go to Amazon, or any major Christian bookstore will have it. I'm finding it; it's at all the Amazons. People are buying it all over the nation, and um, and and that kind of thing. So um, it's and it's doing well there. You can also get it on uh, e, you know, the ebook format. So if you're a Kindle reader, or if you're iBooks, you can find it in those f- formats as well. And the prices. I don't know. I don't control that. And, and it's, it varies. You could literally shop the book and find different prices and uh, just find out what gets it to you. The quickest and the easiest works best. And um, so those, those are the ways. So uh, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, those are the best ways to find the book. In fact, I'll, uh, I'll type it in here real quick so that people can actually see that. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. The testimonials have been uh, amazing and, uh, and it's exciting to, to see the positive. You know, I keep waiting for the hate mail. You know, you know what I'm talking about. I keep waiting for somebody who's going to be like ticked off and super religious. But I think the book was written in a way 
that it's almost disconnected from the author. Yeah. Um, and it was written in a way where it doesn't look like my opinion. Cause it's not, it's literally, uh, it, by the time you get to the end of the book, the whole thing is just the characters talking to each other and that's where all the teaching comes from. Yeah. It's and not so, pretty at all. Yeah. And you know, I've, I've had some pastor friends of mine saying, you know, if you didn't have this storyline in the book, you would just be sucker punching people. And I, I don't think anybody would read it. And, and I think they're right because you get hooked into the story because um, it's a story that um, I, I, of a family that I think many, many families are going to correlate with. There's going to be something that resonates like, like either. Yeah. I, I've already people told me, I think I'm this character. This has been the big thing now with the book is people going, uh, it's like a talking point. Now, what char- character do you, in fact, I'll ask you right now, Stacy, what character, character do you find yourself playing in this book well i mean out of jason and cindy obviously i resonate more with cindy because yeah i'm a woman i think uh like seven major characters you know so there's you know and people say well it's joyce the pastor's wife or it's this person or that person nobody has said it's cindy's mom nobody's claimed that one yet (laughs) i did read a little bit about that I don't know. I have to. I have to think about it. But as far as the the uncomfortableness of Cindy in certain situations, I yeah, definitely because yeah. because I don't put myself in those situations because yeah. I'm an old fogey. And her abortion story is in this book as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if you've got that part. I might have just um, no. You know, kind of. But I did want to. I want to tell a couple. Of, I want to tell you guys. Jim Baker, president of PTL television network endorsed this book as well as becca shea dun 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 yeah okay that's so cool you know her that's that's really cool oh yeah she she's one they're good people and anyway scott erickson lead pastor or lead pastor depending on how you read that no i'm just kidding yes people's church salem oregon uh and some other people dr wade goodall executive director of compassion consortium convoy of convoy of hope and strategic pastoral advisor for focus on the family I actually used to work at focus by the way oh cool but um they endorsed this book and if you had asked me i would have but you know what honestly (laughs) nobody knows me so it's like whatever but but you're you're endorsing it right now i am endorse it okay we'll post that endorsement i will i'll write a review on amazon too yeah, that would be great. You know, Amazon has really cracked down and I've had so many people email me or send me messages saying, hey, it won't let me post, um, you know, whether if you're connected to me in any way, it some, seems to throw up a red flag. If you're a family member, they don't want you involved. If you're, it's it's just really interesting. And I don't know why, I don't, I don't know the history of it, but um, the getting the, the quick uh, 50 reviews isn't, isn't easy anymore. Right. It's really hard. So well, and Amazon has got some, their hands in some very liberal political things that are squenching yeah. what you yeah. are trying to do. So that's not surprising. Just so yeah, you know. it, yeah. I think I think you're right there too, and I'm I'm not sure how they do that with their analytics, but um, there's a way to it. But uh, yeah, you know, one of the fun things about this book is talking. Is chapter twelve was really talking about hearing the voice of God. And I think people are going to be so encouraged when they read that. There's also a grizzly story in there that you're going to read about. So I'm not going to tell you what happens, okay. but, um, but I think people are going to be really blown away 
uh, at the story of this family as well as, as some of the stories that in life experiences I've had in in the process, in this case, learning God's voice. It's really exciting. Yeah. Hey, you know what we should do? Have you come back and talk more about it. Let's do it. Yeah, I think Let's we should do, do it. That. Maybe when you, we'll talk about the other half of the book when you finish it. Okay. That sounds like it's a deal. <laughs> All right, everybody. Hey, Papa Bear Alaska, superhero, para, well, not a paramedic. He's a piece of Papa Bear. He's in Alaska. Yeah, he's the Papa Bear. Yeah, he is. That's right. <laughs> he has That's a right. couple of great books. Check them out. Okay, everybody. Tomorrow, I may not be doing a show because I'm going to meet my dear precious person that helped me through my life who's in town. So I will, I will text you list to let you know if we're going to do a show right now. I'm not planning on it. Uh, if it turns out we get home in time to really do some preparation or something, we will. But I think as of right now, we are not going to do a show tomorrow just so I can keep my day completely open and have a, have a day off with, with a woman who invested 13, 14, 15 years of her life with me behind the scenes to bring this great half-finished product to you today. <laughs> So in all seriousness, uh, I hope you have a good rest of your day. Remember, be bold, stand up people, and go with God because he loves you.